okay? You hear it okay? I might have to get cozy and quiet. your heart when your world is dim. I will know all your mind. I will call you mine. Child, I won't let you go. We are homeward bound. Child, I'll sing till it's clear. We are homeward. In my voice, you will know the sound of hope. On this road that we walk, feel the earth beneath. 
I will stay by your side, so close that you cannot hide. Child, I won't let you go. We are homeward bound. Child, I'll sing till it's clear. We are homeward. In my voice, you will know the sound of hope. I've often wondered what home means, uh, what makes a home, who makes a home, what is a home. Um, when I was younger, I wondered this a lot. Actually, I struggled with home. Um, home was not a safe place for me. Um, it was not a place that I wanted to retreat to. It was not a place I wanted to return to. It was not a place that I wanted to be. Um, there were times that we tried to make it a home or homey. We'd clean it. We'd give it a face, put a face on it, right? Um, but even that, we, we failed pretty regularly at that. Um, my parents, I love them. I adore them. I have um, such a great relationship with them now. Uh, but they have a different perspective of what home looked like then. Um, and I know now that uh, they gave us the best home that they knew how. I'm going to pause because of allergies. i got to blow my nose. I like to keep things fresh and awkward. Set the bar really low. So you know what you're getting into. Um, great, I feel better feel better. Uh, but home did not feel so good. They had a way different perspective of what it was like. Um, they were tragically wounded. Home for them, when they were younger, was not home. They were abused, um, both my parents. And so they just didn't know how to cope, and they turned to drugs and alcohol. Um, and they just struggled emo emotionally and mentally. Um, so even though I know now that th that was the best they knew they could do, it still wasn't a safe place. It wasn't home for me. Um, I remember times when we would go months without heat, months without running water, months without a toilet. There was times we had to just use a bucket. It was like, I mean, it, it, it wasn't a home. It was like barely a roof over our heads. Um, my parents worked a lot. They were hard workers. They really were. Um, but when they weren't working, they were at the bar or, um, you know, just trying to cope. So even in that mess of a home, they weren't there. So my idea of safety, my idea of home um, actually was my sister. I had a sister. I have a sister. She's still here. Um, but she, uh, she and I were so close, and she was home for me. She was safe for me. Uh, but eventually, she didn't know how to cope either, and so she left. Um, so it was just me by myself. I had birthdays, holidays, by myself. Um, so I turned to other things for home and safety. Um, I have my notes here that I love flipping. Um, but eventually, I turned to church uh, in my young youth as a teenager, and the church was safe. It was a, it was a refuge for me. Um, it, I know it wasn't for all of you guys, uh, but for me it was. Um, so 
um, yeah, I turned, I turned to that. It was my place of hope and surrender. But then I became a young adult, and the church didn't know what to do with me. So I had a great youth group, great friends. It was a great program. People invested in me. Then I hit into my young adult years, and they literally had nothing for me. So uh, the church became less and less of a home for me. And then Aaron and I, my sweet, handsome man back there with a beard and the flannel, he, that's all he wears, just flannels. So if you're like ever wondering what kind of gift to give him, it's a flannel. Give him a flannel. This closet is full of them. Um, we got married, and even in that, marriage um, was a little bit like home. It was a little bit like home. Uh, we started building our life together, but we felt like we should get rid of our home and move into a van to Denver, where we knew no one. We lived in a van for two years, um, so there went home, and my idea of home. Uh, my first time at SCUM, when I walked through the doors, I did not feel at home here. It was not safe. It was not a place of refuge for me. Now, for many of you, it has, um, because it really is a place where we can come as we are and be authentic and be raw, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. And there's safety in that for some. Um, for me, it was not safe. In fact, uh, people in their authenticity inflicted a lot of pain on to me. And um, they projected their hurts and their wounds. Um, they questioned my authenticity. I was uh, disregarded, laughed at, mocked. Um, scum was not uh, a place that I called home. And so then the church was not at all home for me. So I was like, Lord, what are you doing? What is happening? Um, this place that I felt so safe in, the church at large, was no longer safe. Um, and God's response to me was this. Now read it to you. John 15, 4 through 10. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you, in the same way that a branch can't bear, bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is dead wood, gathered up and thrown into the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my Father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you mature as my disciples. I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love.
Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. I can look at the examples that I gave you of home, or what seemed like home, um, and you guys could probably say, sure, that's why you never felt at home. Those are terrible examples. <laughs> Suck. Like, why would you feel at home in any of those scenarios, right? So, okay, give me a nice home, give me a fireplace, give me everything that I need, and then maybe I'll feel at home. I mean, that's what I have now, minus the fireplace, Aaron. Yeah, we can't do that in an apartment. That's okay. That's all right. We have the one on Netflix. It'll do. It'll do. But I have everything taken care of. I have a wonderful family. I have friends. I have all the cheese a girl could ever want. Thanks to Wick. <sighs> Just kidding. That was a little joke. I do have Wick. They supply a lot of cheese. And I love cheese. If you know me, you know that I love cheese. Um, but even in all those wonderful things, um, I don't feel at home. Not in those things. Actually, it was when I lived in the van that God began to show me what home is. It's not even in my husband, who I've nodded to several times already, who I adore. It's not in my children, and even the church children that you saw gathered around me who I adore. It's not in this place, who though at first didn't feel safe, I love calling this place home and family. But it's not my home. Spoiler alert, it's Jesus. Jesus is my home. He's not only my home, he's my everything. He's the reason I sing, the reason I have joy, in verse 11, it says, I've told you these things for a purpose, that my joy might be your joy, and your joy wholly mature. So everything I say and do, everything is because of Jesus. Everything I have, everything is a byproduct Right? I've heard, you guys have heard me say this before. Like, without Jesus, without love, without him, like, there's nothing. So everything I have, everything I do, everything I say is a byproduct of relationship with him. So I'm not saying you have to, like, pick up everything you have and move into a van. Don't hear me say that. In order to experience, like, the true vine, the true home, the true light. Hi, did you escape? <laughs> she heard my voice. She was like, I miss her. Oh, she misses her mom and dad. Um, they're, they're my neighbors. I love them. I love you guys. Uh, where was I at? Yeah, go live in a van. No, don't live in a van. Um, or maybe, if that's what God is calling you to, maybe he's calling you to some really uncomfortable things. God does ask us to pick up everything we have and follow him. 
But I'm not saying we can't have comforts, right? Church has become a, a comfort yet again. My family is a huge comfort to me. My husband and my children are a huge comfort for me. I love them. But even if I lost them today, believe I would grieve deeply, but it couldn't ever destroy my relationship with Jesus. How do you even get there? How can I say this? Maybe you're thinking no hurt is worse than yours. And that might be true, because life sucks sometimes. But God is still just as worthy of our praise and adoration and relationship with him. Jesus said in John chapter 14, just one chapter before, 14, 15 through 18, If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. I will talk to the Father, and he'll provide you another friend so that you always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world can't take him in because it doesn't have eyes to see him, doesn't know what to look for, but you know him already because he has been staying with you and will even be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. When we have the spirit of truth living inside of us, that's how we can have this perspective the eternal perspective. That's how I cannot cling to the things of this world. But instead, my eyes are constantly fixed on him and the things above. Aaron was on this kick last year. Um, He would always walk around and he would say, meaningless. It's all meaningless. And he wasn't saying that to be Eeyore. Well, maybe. Maybe he was trying to be a little funny. Um, but he was studying Ecclesiastes, and if you know anything about Ecclesiastes, Solomon, um, towards the end of his life, was writing, it's a lot of, like, meaningless. Everything's meaningless under the sun. And what he's saying is, even though Solomon was the richest, wisest man on the planet, he had total fame, fortune, um, everything you could want, he, too, had realized that above all that, even though he experienced God's glory, he still had moments of forgetting who God was too and forgetting who he was. But he realized that even then, God pursued him. Even then, God still loved him. He realized what mattered, what truly mattered, above his wealth and wisdom, his home, his family, his fame, was his relationship with God. Sometimes I forget, too. I was um, describing this uh, imagery this week to Steve. Um, I realize that I'm in this great mansion, and I'm surrounded by royal garments and royal guards and Everything is just lavish. Everything is um, beautiful. Everything's beautifully crafted. I mean, it's just like, if you can use holy imagination, just try to imagine the most beautiful place you could ever be. 
And I'm surrounded by it. And I have, this, I have this big room all to myself with this big giant bed all to myself. And it's so inviting. And it's saying, come, rest in me. And I see it all. I'm aware of it. And yet I still choose to sleep in dirty rags on the floor. That's sometimes what I do. And as I was sharing this with Steve, he said, yeah, but when you're used to sleeping on the floor, it's really uncomfortable sleeping in a bed. And I thought of that for the years that I did sleep on a floor, how uncomfortable it was to finally sleep in a bed. I couldn't get comfortable. And that's true. We all have grown accustomed to certain habits and ways of life. I still don't like compliments. I'm like this, you know, a little bit, hand up, still like, okay. But I, it's still really hard to hear someone say, you're beautiful. It's not untrue. Just because something doesn't feel comfortable or good doesn't mean it's not true. It's the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, that is constantly reminding me that I am truly lacking nothing. He's reminding me of my freedom and of my worth. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are his masterpiece. He loves us. I think even just saying that is still hard to wrap my brain around. Really? Really, God, are we your masterpiece? Are we your most treasured possession? Malachi 3, 16, 17, it's not on there. But it says that whatever we ask of the Lord, um, not only does he hear us, but he writes it down. A scroll of remembrance is made because he says we are his most prized possession. We not only want to serve him and worship him because of who he is, but he calls us friend. He calls us children. He calls us royalty. Maybe it's not a home you desire like I have in the past or even still long for. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a partner to walk through life with. Maybe you want children and you can't have children. Or maybe you haven't even found your partner yet, but you know you're destined to be a mother or a father. Maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe you're looking for the perfect job. One that you can feel purpose and value in. Maybe you've lost a lot. I'm only one testimony that encourages you to push into Jesus. But don't just take my word for it. Look into scripture. Read the whole book of John. We've been reading this chapter 15 for a while. Almost the whole chapter. I encourage you to read the whole thing. I encourage you to start in Genesis, read all the way through Revelations. But don't just read it. 
Because you know that you can have just knowledge, right? And not know what it's saying. Not know the word. Push into the living word. Ask the spirit of truth to make it clear. But I do want to go back into this passage in chapter 15. Because I want to talk a little bit more about it. We've been reading it uh, all month and last month. Um, And we just read it and things get kind of even routine. Or we just like zone out. I don't know if you guys zoned out while we were reading it. Um, But I zone out. Uh, I'm not totally in teacher mode tonight. If you know me, you know that I'm a storyteller. I like to share stories. Um, I'm not an ordained pastor. I just love Jesus, and I love the Bible, and I I just want to share that with you guys. Um, So sometimes at SCUM, you'll get teaching. Sometimes you'll get preaching. uh, Sometimes you'll get an encouraging word. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you can't get none of it. Maybe tonight you'll get a little bit of all of it. Um, but this time I want to read a little more and from a different translation. I didn't put it up there because, again, um, sometimes these things are pretty fluid and, and the things that I plan are different than what God plans. So um, it won't be on the screen. But... You guys can practice. This is good. It'll be a good practice of holy listening and holy imagination. You guys can pull out your phones. I won't think that you're texting. You can pull up your Bible apps if you have them. If you don't, get one. They're really great. I want to read out of the Passion Translation. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit more than we've been reading. I'm going to read a little bit more. So, don't put it past me. I might read the whole stinking book. Starting in Genesis 1, the word of the Lord. Just kidding. Well, I don't that's what they used to do. Um, so, John 15, 1 through 17. I am a true sprouting vine, And the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. I'm going to stop as I go along. I'm actually going to stop. Make frequent stops. Hang on to your britches. So... I love this. Verse 2, he cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch. So what's beautiful about this is like when we think of pruning, we think of this like really painful process. Like if I were a tree and someone just started cutting at me, it feels like uh, even God as a farmer, like it's not really that nice of an imagery. Um, And sometimes we think the pruning is like this casting off, like you're done into the lakes of fire, you go. Like that's the way we perceived it for probably a long time, maybe for a lot of us. Um, But I like this. It says, by lifting and propping up. The Greek word for pruning is kathiro. It can also mean cleansing. That's a different context, isn't it? 
And to think of God um, not casting off, but bringing to himself, propping up, elevating, that's a, that's a bit different picture as well. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. This really stuck out to me. Um, other translations say, you've already been pruned. So again, I keep thinking that this process of, of giving my life to Jesus is a constant pruning, is a constant chipping and stripping away, and I'm just like, okay, God, what more? What more do you have to strip away? But he says, I've already pruned you. I've already cleansed you. He says, so you must remain in life union with me. So now it's a choice to remain. I'm already there. I've already been pruned. I've already been cleansed. I've already heard the message. Just a couple chapters before in chapter 13 is when Jesus is at the Last Supper and when he washes the disciples' feet. He's coming down, stepping down from his authority in heaven, becoming flesh in this humble position, and then he takes off his robe and he puts on an apron to wash their feet. Super humbling position. But one of the, the Hebrew culture for taking off your sandal was uh, they would do that in covenant to show inheritance. So Jesus was saying, I want to strip all that stuff away and show you the inheritance I've given you. This life and life abundantly that we hear in scripture a lot, that we hear through, you know, messages, it's like this inheritance he's already given us. It's beautiful. So I must, you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. It's more of choosing to acknowledge what already is. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine, and you're my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. So him being the source, the vine, the life source, the bread of life, the air we breathe, the living water, the well that never runs dry, right? He's the source. So when I said that everything I do and say is a byproduct of relationship with Jesus, that's true. Does that mean I don't mess up? Absolutely not. I mess up all the time. But I continue to look to the source, to the reason I breathe, to the reason I'm here in every situation, whether it's the big stuff or the mundane, right? Because life is boring sometimes too. What does that look like when I'm at home with my kids and we're all sick and puking on each other? It doesn't seem very glorious. It's not. It's not. You know? Or... When I decide to quit work and be a stay-at-home mom, I'm like, um, what's my purpose? How can I be used? How can I, how can I, you know, do the things that God has gifted me in? Um, even in that, I look to the source. How can I have joy? How can I have joy when I'm got a toddler puking on me? 
right? I mean, Jesus. He said, I have said these things so that you can have my joy. So he'll be my joy. He's the source of everything. I can't have joy without it. I can't be a good mom without it. I can't come and work at SCUM without it, without Jesus, without him being my source and my constant acknowledgement, my constant turning to and everything I do and say, it has to be a byproduct of relationship with him. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Some branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. When I'm not living in what already is, and acknowledging that he's already cleansed me, and acknowledging what he's already given me, that, I've la- that I'm lacking nothing, when I'm not living in that, life sucks even more. I could look at the things that I do with my children as uh, a waste of time, as um, not having purpose. I can look at being sick as a shit show and hate it every minute, every second of it. Um, I used to work at a job that I hated. I liked it at first. It was a retail store. Um, and anyone ever work in retail at the Christmas season? Oh my gosh. Lord be with you. It sucks. I, like, literally have had people spit on me because they didn't get what they wanted. It was a cell phone store. They come in and say their phone was broken. It was, like, water damaged, whatever. They probably dropped it in the toilet, and they're like, how could you? They just took everything out on me. And I was like, um, well, let me see how I can help you with this situation. Most of the time, there's nothing I could do. All I could do was call customer service, which made them even more furious. And um, I hated it. I hated it. I would go in the back, and I would just, like, scream to the top of my lungs. And they probably heard me because it was a small store. I was like, I hate Christmas! Throw their phone, like, to the discard pile or whatever. And then I'd come back out. So my manager said he can't help you with a discount. But what I can offer you is this lollipop that I've had in my drawer for three weeks. I don't know where I was going with that. I found recently that if I sway and move, it helps me keep my focus. It's because I get incredibly distracted. But that's what it could feel like, right? The mundane, even the ordinary things. They can feel like this is just dead-end job. I'm not going anywhere. This sucks. I hate Christmas. I hate my life, you know? Rather than having a different perspective and going into it thinking like, you know, like maybe this person just had a really bad day and they dropped their phone in the toilet and that just made it even worse. And so they're not mad at me, necessarily. Maybe they are. Um, and, and just shifting the perspective and letting love be my motivator instead of myself and how, it, how everything makes me feel. Um, that's what I think 
feeling discarded, feeling gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. That's what that feels like, not just like this lake of fire condemnation. We condemn ourselves. We, we're the ones who make ourselves feel guilty. We're the ones that make ourselves feel full of shame. I mean, the enemy hands us the, the hammer and we just beat ourselves. Like he doesn't even have to do anything after a while. We're our own worst enemy, you know? That's what that feels like. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. So again, it's a byproduct. I don't, I think we strive, right? We all, it, this happens in the church. I was recently um, at this youth conference and um, it was amazing to me this shame and condemnation that they all lived in, that they lived under. The leaders, the children, everyone. One of my first conversations with someone was, I just don't want to, I don't want to sin. I don't want to mess up. And she was 12. We do that to ourselves. And then we think we have to strive. We think that we have to do, how can I make this better? What can I do to make this program better? What can I do to make this more people get through the door? What can I do to make my job better? What can I do? Lord, like, use me, use me, use me. Well, one thing I want to tell you tonight is that the Lord doesn't use you. He definitely includes us in a lot but he doesn't use us. He makes things good. Things that were, you know, sucky. He makes it good. He's not a user. So the mature disciple who glorifies the Father, that's, that's a byproduct. When love is the motivator, when we remain in his love, when we are at home in his love, that stuff just happens naturally. There's a, a preacher that, I, that I've heard before, and, and I, I like some of the things he says. Not everything. Um, but one of the things he says is like, what do you do when you squeeze an orange? What comes out? Orange juice. What if you like squeeze, well, I don't know if you can squeeze an apple as hard as you can and get apple juice. You've done it. Okay, next we will have a display of apple squeezing by David, who will come up and squeeze with his bare hands. But what should come out, right? Apple juice. It's a good analogy. It's a good picture. You're not going to get orange juice coming out of an apple, you know. So that's what happens, right? When we, when we are in relationship with Jesus, what comes out is the fruit. What comes out is the mature discipleship. All of that is a byproduct of relationship with him. And Jesus does it because the Father loves him. So he modeled that for us. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. 
My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. If you see me with joy, um, I have not always been a joy-filled person. Did you know that? Actually, when I was 14, one of my most... um, Vivid memories, my prayer with the Lord was sobbing, and I said, God, I just, I just want to know what joy feels like. I want to know what real joy feels like. And it's so amazing that that's a marker of me now, that people, when they describe me, they say, oh, she's the joy girl. Like, you know the, um, that Disney movie with the emotions? And there's that girl with the blue hair. Her name is Joy. Yeah, inside out. That's what Mike Sayers loves saying that about me. He's like, you're like Joy. You're just like her. I'm like, awesome, because I prayed for that. That's an answer from the Lord. That means so much to me, that if someone says that's a marker of me, that that girl is filled with joy, oh my gosh. That's a byproduct of relationship with him. So everything we do and say is because of that. It's easy to feel like we need to do more, especially right now at SCUM when things um, are really slim. We're looking for a new lead pastor. You know, when, when we were at one point booming with numbers and then the next week it's like, you know, 30 people show up. It feels like maybe we have to strive to make things better or to make things different or to try to get more people coming in consistently. Like, I feel that. But I don't have to because, like, God has given us everything we need already. And so what is living in freedom, living in what already is, looks like what he's already given me. It's a relationship with him. And out of that comes these things naturally, maturity, joy, when we let love nourish our hearts. And then we want to do the commands. We want to be obedient. Rather than the other way around, sure, maybe you can do all these things and be obedient and follow these rules and maybe you'll get there. But that shouldn't be your motivator. But if love is the motivator, then obedience is the result. And wanting to follow his commands and living with that kind of holy imagination, thinking on the things above, constantly turning your eyes and fixing your eyes to him, not spitting on the person who spat on you you first. (laughs) Right? No. You spit back. (laughs) No. And if you do, it's okay too. Don't go spitting on people, okay? It's not, if there's anything you take away from this, don't let that be, Kathy said I could spit on people and that it's okay because we all live under grace. That's not what I'm saying. So this is my command. He says, love each other deeply. As much as I have loved you, for the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. This is really cool. So um, 
friends, the Greek word, the Aramaic word actually, for friends is actually family or relatives. So you guys are my family, truly. And when it talks about the branches, like we're not many branches of many trees. We are many branches of one tree, of one root. We all have different things and different giftings, but we are family. And we should treat each other as such. Maybe you had a family like mine. <laughs> That's really hard to do. Well, even in that, God has redeemed that. Because the fact that I can go and spend the night with them and, and have my kids um, be involved in their lives and, um, and actually want to see them and want to call them, there's no other word but Jesus for that. Because some really crazy stuff happened. But God is good. He saw me through it. And he's slowly but surely bringing them to himself. Because he's faithful like that. So the day that they totally sell out for Jesus, I'm going to come here and celebrate with you all because we're all in this together. And that's going to be a good day. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants. And servants don't always understand what the master is doing, but I call you my most intimate friends. For I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my father. You didn't choose me, but I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit, and your fruit will last, because whatever you ask my father for my sake, he will give it to you. So this is my parting command. Love one another deeply. I love that. I love that Jesus came down in his most humbled position as a servant to serve us. And he doesn't call us servants. But friends. Family. Both the Aramaic and Greek word for intimate friends is actually those cared for from the womb. You are more than a friend to him, for you were born again from his wounded side. And he's invited us into that. So if you're still wondering how to make sense of it all, ask the Spirit of Truth to make it clear. John 16, 12 through 13, Jesus said, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them now. But when the friend comes, the spirit of the truth, he will take you by the hand and guide you into all the truth there is. So whatever questions you have, bring them to the Lord. Don't look to your comforts, whether scum is your comfort, your family, your friends, your hopes and dreams, Maybe you have a fireplace, and if you do, invite me over. We can enjoy it. Just can't let it be our source, right? I love you guys so much, and I'm, um, 
I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that God has redeemed much and he continues to redeem. And he continues to call his friends and more importantly, his family. I want to pray with you guys. But before I do, um, we're going to partake in communion. Uh, And you can come up at any time through the worship set. There'll be a few of us in the prayer cave waiting. Um, If you have anything you want to pray for or anyone you want to pray for, just whatever. Maybe you just want to come and cry into my shoulder. That's okay, too. Um, So we have the bread. We have gluten-free. It is grape juice.